so we're talking this week about good problems. Um, like I, I think a good problem is sometimes when some of you walk in here, you feel like you can't find a seat um, because we have kids taking the seats. And someone once said, well, there's a solution. We could just not have the kids start in here. And I said, that's not a solution. That's a loss. Um, and so it's always fun to see um, the kids who call this church home. Um, my question this morning is, have you ever been going the right way only to find out it was the wrong way? I mean, you know what I mean? You know where you're going, and so you're going what you believe is the right direction, only all of a sudden you realize you don't know where you are. I know none of you have ever done that. I mean, there's a reason why we, we always make the joke that men don't ask for directions, but now they have GPS. They have less excuse than they ever had before. But I also believe that almost all of us, at some level, desperately desire like adventure at some level in our life. We, we like the idea of adventurousness. We like the idea of being a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, right? I, I remember as a kid, I loved kind of like traipsing through the woods. I always felt like I was way cooler than I was. You know, there's something about just, just feeling like you are in an adventure, even if it's by yourself. I grew up um, about 30, 40 minutes from a, a state park in Indiana called Turkey Run State Park has great trails and caves and waterfalls. It's a super cool place. And I always loved going there and it felt like I was like on some grand adventure, even though there's literally a trail marked out for you. Um, but I was thinking how I, I, I kind of want that for my kids at some level. I want them to feel like parts of life are an adventure. And so last summer we were in the UP uh, near uh, Pictured Rock State Park or wherever it is up there. And we were at some park, I don't remember the name of it, but it had this trail and it was like, um, I mean, super marked out. You couldn't have gone the wrong way, right? I mean, there's like handrails and everything. I mean, there's stairs. It's not really like adventurous, if we're honest. And we got to this spot that overlooked this waterfall, and you could see it was really cool at the bottom with all the rocks and everything else. And I saw, like, you tell that people had climbed over this and down to the bottom. And I looked at Isaac, and I said, do you want to go? And my wife looked at me, and she said, no. And I said, let's go. And so Isaac and I hop over the rail, Climb down this hill. I mean, in fairness to my wife, there were some spots, had he fallen, he would have been severely injured. I was banking on he was agile enough and I could hold on to him well enough if we had to and hopefully I wouldn't fall too. Um, we made it to the bottom and, and we looked around and I looked at his face as he's hopping from rock to rock down the bottom of this waterfall. There's a few other people down there, but like we look up and... and I don't know, another 150 feet up, 100 feet up, whatever it was, we could see Katie and my in-laws and Gracie kind of looking at us. Like, and, and Isaac had this like, big grin on his face because he felt like he had done something adventurous. And we climbed back up, and it's, it's muddy and slippery. Like I said, not the safest idea, but, but sometimes it's okay to not live into a safe way. And so we, um, we did this and got back up, and you know, he probably felt like he had done something incredible. And I think that for most of us, we like the idea of going on an adventure, right? I, I mean, the same child and I were hiking at Hoffmaster Kitty, and, and Gracie went with us as well, but they decided they were going to cut it short and go back to the car, and so we were going to keep going, right? We're going to keep hiking. I, is it hiking at Hoffmaster, really? Because it's like more like just walking on a trail. Let's call it what it is. We're walking on a trail at Hoffmaster State Park, and at some point, I probably missed a turn, it is possible to do that. And so Isaac looks at me and he says, um, are we lost? And I said, no. And here's why I said no. 
the lake was right there. The golf course is on the other side, right? Wherever I am, I know it's not that far. I can walk home from here if I have to. We are not lost. I could have gone back the way we came, but that was like defeating the purpose. And so we kept walking and we ended up taking a different route, but we took a different route because I saw a trail sign that had a map that says, you're here. And then I found where we were trying to go, and I followed the trail. Now, had I not found that sign, I probably just walked to a road and just started heading down the road until we got to where we needed to go. I also had a cell phone, right? I wasn't, no, we are not lost in the way you're thinking of lost. Did I make a wrong turn? Yes, but I know in the grand scheme of the world, I know exactly where we are. But that sign offered a new way to go. A better way than the way I was currently heading. And it left me with the, the reality that I had to answer this question. What direction will you choose? I could not look at the sign in front of me and go just keep walking. I knew I'd eventually get there, but it might have been more miles than we cared to walk that day. But the question for you and I is, what direction will you choose? And have you ever felt like that in your life? You had a plan to go a certain direction, and yet you begin to realize that you end up at a place you don't really want to be. Or you took off in a direction just because, and you're not even sure how you ended up where you are. Or maybe you recognize you've made one decision after another that has continued to take you in a place that you don't really want to go. I mean, this happens for us. We joke about this in terms of like trips or GPS, but we often do it with our own lives. We continually make decisions that take us to places where we go, huh, how did I end up here? How do I keep ending up here? And then we begin to ask these questions. How do I get back? Or at a minimum... How can I move forward in a better direction? Right, these are the questions we all ask. And this is the question we ask, is there a way to go that might bring us to a better place? Because we keep making the same decisions, we keep ending up in the same kind of places. And so this is really honestly what Paul is trying to get at when he talks to the church in Corinth. He writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in just a moment. And and Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's writing with really a, a several kind of things in mind. Um, he's writing because the church in Corinth, like they, in some ways, were doing a really good job of kind of trying to love people, but they also were engaging in their community in ways that probably weren't helpful for the mission of God in the world. Right? God wanted them to, to help other people know that people are not objects to be objectified, but people to be loved. Well, the problem is they were engaging in pagan worship culture things, which included like all kinds of sexually immoral activities. Uh, they were eating food sacrificed to idols and participating in pagan worship. Like, it, it was kind of like they were like, going to do both. We're going to love Jesus and live like just everyone else in our community. And, and Paul's going, well, we love that you want to live like Jesus. However, to live like Jesus, you can't keep doing these things because then what that says is I don't really care about Jesus. And so Paul's writing them going, hey, there's a way you can live into this that will look more like the people of God. And so he's trying to correct their behaviors so they can follow Jesus more closely because what they keep doing is going to keep leading them to the place where they are lost. And here's what Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, 
brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now Paul begins with a phrase, he said, um, a reference to their ancestors. And this is kind of significant, and, and for you, like that doesn't sound like good news to us, but like it was really good news to them, and here's why. Uh, it wasn't a secret that Israel was supposed to be the unique people of God, but what Paul and others have begun to say is the unique people of God are not defined by their birthright, but they're defined by coming to know Jesus. And so he says to you, so therefore, the people of God has transitioned in this way. You, too, are the people of God to the church in Corinth. And you're like, well, why does that matter? Because the people in Corinth were not Jewish. They were Gentile. And what he's saying is this, the story of God's people is now your story, and so He's assuming they know this story, and he looks back, and he wants them to know that you got to see what your ancestors longed for, right? For the people who had tried to follow God for so long and kept screwing it all up, you were invited to be a continuation of their story. And so what does that mean for us? It means this. The church is the chosen people of God. And God's saying, I've always picked a people, but you are my people. I've actually picked all people All of humankind are all invited in to be my people, and you become that by being a part of my church, my community of faith, by following my son, Jesus. However, the people chosen by God have often not reflected that they were chosen by God. And they've lived in ways that are counter to the way God has called them to live. And I know if you've been here very long, you're probably shocked that I'm going to reference the Exodus story again. I know you're incredibly shocked by that. If you're new here, then you can be shocked. But, but Paul writes about this Exodus story. And so if you don't know the story, here's the story, right? You, you maybe have seen them in the movies, but there's Moses, and he's going to lead Israel who've been in slavery. These people have been enslaved for 400 years. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh, um, God says let my people go, and Pharaoh says no. And we see this scene kind of unfold several times. And eventually, Pharaoh says, okay, they can go. And they go. And they get to the Red Sea. And this is a pivotal moment for them. 
They've been led by God, and they get there, and they find themselves looking at these waters, and water has always represented among the ancient people chaos and death and destruction because it was beyond them. Water cannot be controlled. Have you noticed this? Even when we try, we sometimes don't, don't do a very good job. And water is in front of them, and everything they know is behind them. And they walk across the Red Sea. And then they, they find themselves going from one place to the other. And as they get to the other side, it's as if they've been freed from their captivity. Before they crossed the Red Sea, they had been slaves in Egypt. And now they were God's freed people in the wilderness. And this picture of a people crossing over to the other side is what is what Paul is trying to address. He says, you were baptized into Moses, right? He's saying, in other words, you crossed over the water and you were baptized into this new way of life. And the people, when they got to the Red Sea, they had a distinct choice to make. The choice they had was this. What direction will you choose? They could go back to Egypt, which they eventually asked for. They wanted to go back because they knew it. Or they could go forward to where God was actually calling them. You have this choice again and again. What direction will you choose? They were at a crossroads, a pivotal moment. Am I going to go to the place of freedom? But I don't know what this looks like. I've never experienced it before. Or I can go back to what I already know and I'm comfortable with. Even if it's destructive. Even if it's harmful to me. Even if it hurts. At least I know it. And they stepped into the other side and they went forward and this becomes for us this idea that God wants to invite us to freedom from captivity, to no longer be enslaved to what we've been enslaved to. It's why, by the way, like this is a side note, um, so you could like just, if, we, if you're reading a book, I'd say, hey, put a, put a bookmark in it for just a split second. This is why on Easter Sunday, if you have never been baptized, we would love for you to be baptized on Easter. So if you're interested in that, See me or any of our pastoral staff, and we'll get you connected so that on Easter Sunday, you can be baptized. It is an opportunity to walk from an old life into a new one for the church to wrap their arms around you and say, you are God's beloved child, and in this way, it's time for you to know the freedom that you don't have to live in the way you've been living before, and you get to step through the waters of baptism to the other side to find new life. Paul's actually referencing this here when he's talking about the people going through the Red Sea and going, but we also can be baptized into Christ. Not just into Moses to the freedom of the wilderness, but into knowing him. All right, you can like open your book back up, bookmark and move, whatever, it's fine. But they've had God as their guide in this new place of freedom. And so he references this idea that you had the cloud, right, with this cloud. In other words, this cloud led them in the wilderness, and it was supposed to be the very presence of God. It protected them, it saved them, it led them, right, in this moment when... When Egypt is barreling down on them to destroy them, the cloud confuses the Egyptians and they don't know where to go. It's this idea that somehow, with the very presence of God, it frees us into a new way of life if we'll follow him. It's this invitation to a new way. It is a trail, a sign of where to go. Right, so, so Paul referenced three things. Right? He talked about the cloud. The cloud represents this idea that the very presence of God is near. The sea represents we can leave from where we have been into a place of freedom. And then he talks about spiritual food and drink. Right? In the wilderness, they're called manna. 
Um, it gave him bread to eat, and then there was a rock that was struck that water came out of, and you're like, okay, so that's the Old Testament picture. But then he's also referencing this idea that there's another kind of spiritual food that we take and we partake of. We call it communion or the Lord's table or the Eucharist, in which we drink of the cup and eat of the bread that represents the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of him that offers us freedom and grace. It's the same thing that was offered to the people in the wilderness. This sustains us here and now. However, just because the people had been freed from Egypt and from captivity there, it didn't mean that they could always remember the God who had freed them. And they'd always place their trust in him, even though they had these great experiences, these moments they didn't buy in all the way. In fact, we see stories in Exodus and Numbers, right? So one of, the, one of my, I say favorite stories in a weird kind of way. It's not favorite, like I think it's cool. It's favorite because I think it's funny. Um, Moses has been gone for too long, and his brother Aaron is with the Israelite people, and, he, and, and they're grumbling to Aaron, and Aaron like caves to the pressure of the people. And they say, hey, we need something to worship because our God apparently is absent from us. Moses has been gone too long, so, so we need another God to worship. And so Aaron says, okay, give me all your gold. And so he takes all their gold, and they form a calf, and they create this golden calf. And Moses comes back, and you can just imagine how angry you'll be. I've helped lead you out of Egypt, out of slavery. God has freed you. He's provided food for you, and you're going to create this golden calf? What is wrong with you? And Aaron says to Moses, well, um, I don't really know what happened. We just threw all this gold in the fire, and out came this golden calf. Like I said, I love the story because it's so dumb. Um, it's like when you're caught by your parents and you come up with something on the spot that's just a bad idea, right? Like this excuse that you know isn't going to work, but you're going to try it anyway, and you're going to ride it till you die. You know, like you're going to, it's not going to work, and your parents aren't that dumb, but you're going to keep acting like it and just dig your hole deeper, and that's what Aaron's doing with Moses. The Israelites also participated in sexual practices with the Moabites, who were people who literally would sacrifice their own children. I mean, it was a mess. They did all kinds of stuff they shouldn't have done. They were so fearful when they got to the place that God had promised them. They saw all these big people and this giant army, and they're like, well, apparently God's not lying to us. He doesn't want us to go here. We're too afraid. Except for Joshua and Caleb, they were too fearful. And so again and again, God tried to provide a way, and the people were just scared that God wasn't doing what God said he would do. And so Paul wants them to remember, hey, this is not the first time the people of God have gone in wrong directions. They've taken the wrong trail sign. They've gone the wrong direction. In fact, but here's what we want you to know. Even then, God always provided a new way forward. We don't have to repeat the things we've done before. The sins and the temptations that have held us captive before do not have to be what hold us captive any longer. Paul wants them to learn from their past, from their ancestors. And again, they're faced with this question, what direction will you choose? What direction will you choose? And then verse 12, we see this kind of thing where Paul says, hey, um, basically, sometimes people are a little too overconfident in themselves and don't place enough trust in God. And so there's like, I can do this. I don't need God. I'm, I'm capable. And so we get overconfident and then we fall into all kinds of sinful things because we're overconfident in our own abilities to free ourselves from our own temptations. Um, it, right? We've all heard of stories of people who are overconfident, right? I mean, I could just give a couple examples. Like Hitler was a little too overconfident. 
Um, the people who made the Titanic were a little too overconfident. People in the NCAA tournament who had 20-point leads were a little too overconfident, right? Like, this happens. We're overconfident. I'm going to win this thing now, and then I lose. But in terms of faith, our reliance upon ourselves and our lack of reliance on God leads us to a place where we make poor decisions. And these poor decisions become for us so destructive. That's where Paul turns next in verse 13. And he says something that I want us to rightly understand. Um, I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and we'd say it this way, uh, that temptation is unavoidable. Temptation is going to come. There's not a question of are you going to be tempted, but, but when and how. It's true for all of us. It was true for Jesus. It's true for you and I. And so a couple things that Paul addresses here in this particular line. He says, first, um, I think sometimes we give the devil or Satan or demonic or whatever you want to call it, we give it way too much power in our lives. Way too much. Um, because the truth is, it's often our own minds, our own hearts that lead us into temptation, not him. It's our own issues. It's our own thing. We like to, it's another way we can cast blame on something else in our life because the reality is the greatest temptations come from our own hearts and minds. And that's what Paul was trying to get across. He's that's why he says, your temptations are what are common to all mankind. And then he addresses something that the second I think we, we often have heard people say. We hear people say this phrase, right? I actually wrote it because I don't want to get it wrong. God will not give you more than you can bear. Right? Have you heard someone say that before? That's not in the Bible. It's not even true. What Paul writes is this. Um, well, first I'd say it this way. Um, God is not the tempter, so God doesn't give you any of that. that. That's a pretty important point if you didn't catch that. God is not the one who tempts you. But what Paul does say is this. When you are tempted, God will never let you get to the place where you have to be overcome by that temptation. He will always provide for you a way out. Sometimes it's for his very presence. Sometimes it's literally got to run from something. Sometimes it's his people. But God always gives you an opportunity that you do not have to choose what is tempting you. You don't, and I don't either. This is what God promises. This is why Paul is referencing the cloud, right? The very presence of God can be with you and I in a way that we can go where God is leading so we don't have to succumb to the temptation in front of us. One, don't give devil more credit than he deserves. Like, none. It's fine. Um, he can be in one place at one time. No offense to any of you in the room, myself included, we're not that important to him. So let's not give more credit than is deserved. Two, we never have to succumb to the temptation that we have in front of us. This is the freedom that Christ offers us through the cross. That's why we sing the words, lead me to the cross so that the temptations of my life no longer have to hold dominion over who I am. But in the resurrection of Jesus, I can find new life and freedom from those things. Now, I would say this, and this is what Paul is referencing. Uh, don't test God by continuing to go to the places of temptation in your life. If you know you're tempted by particular things and situations, run from them. Don't keep walking back into the same place thinking the result's going to be different the next time. Because it's probably not. But God always provides a way out. See, here's the reality. We get to choose our response to temptation. That's the invitation. Is choose Jesus. 
We get to choose our response to whatever temptations we have. And, and this is what we'd say, right? Every time we choose things that, that we're tempted by, the sinful things that we're tempted by, we choose them over and over again. Um, we walk into that sin, and it leads to more brokenness in our life. Always. Always. You say, why are you talking about that? Well, here's why. Uh, because sin can destroy us and our capacity to love. Sin can destroy us and our capacity to love. When we live into the sinful behaviors or sinful desires we have over and over again, we don't love people well. We're angry, we're bitter, we're short, we're addicted, we're all kinds of things. It just leads to more and more things. But here is the good news of today. God's grace can redirect our It's a sign on the trail that says, hey, there's a better way to go. You don't have to keep going in the direction you're going, that we can go somewhere different. If you know the better destination and the better way to follow. Right, I I was thinking about how how could I articulate this in a way that might be helpful. Uh, It's been probably three years ago now, I went to a family reunion at this state park in Indiana for my grandfather's 80th birthday. And um, we put in the address that I found online. You know, I did a quick Google search, found the address to the state park, put it in, drove there. Uh, problem was I didn't have the right address. When we get to the place that we're supposed to be, we're actually not that far away, but we were, um, if I could depict, like, I don't know, if, if you're like a fan of horror movies, I'm not, but if you are, it was a scene from a horror movie. It's like the middle of nowhere, some farm place in the backwoods, like there's like tractors and like rusting out tractors and I mean, it, it just looked like a horror movie, run-down house. I mean, it was kind of, honestly, kind of scary, right? My kids were like, Dad, I don't think this is the right place. I'm like, I know. I'm like, we also have no cell service, so I can't figure out the right place to go. Um, we eventually got the right address and then pulled into the correct place, which was much different than where we had just been. It was just down the road a few minutes. But have you ever felt like that? You, you had the wrong address, you had the wrong destination, and you got where you thought you were trying to go because you had the wrong place, the wrong goal, the wrong thing. And it's funny, as soon as we had the correct address, and we put it in the GPS, we went to the destination that we longed to be. Now, what about your life? What are things, if we're honest, we probably have the wrong address? the wrong destination. We long for the wrong things. And if we were to redirect those, right, we might find ourselves in a better place. It's why, again, the question, what direction will you choose? And here's the reality for you today. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've chosen previously. The question is, will you choose God's direction today? We you decide today that I want to continue to go in this direction, this direction that God has for my life? I want to follow Jesus with all that I am. And when I do that, I begin to find that it reorients that the trail I was on maybe switches, maybe it continues just in a better direction even than I knew before. But the question is, will you and I commit to following Jesus? And so the temptation for the church in Corinth was to value their culture, the things around them that said were important in the place they lived, they were more important than following after Jesus. And that temptation for them is no different than the temptation for us. Because the culture in which they lived had their heart. I'm going to reread a line that I read earlier, and Paul writes these words. These things occurred 
as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now, I think sometimes we underestimate the value of heart and mind. I, I know we can get into like our hearts here. Okay, um, I hear you. Um, but our intellect and our feeling, right, our, our, our passion. Right? I, love, um, I love reading books. I love listening to stuff. I love thinking. I think that's really invaluable. Um, I, I think I grow, honestly, spiritually as much by those things than I do like experiential stuff. Um, but I recognize both matter, right? Um, there was the philosopher um, who wrote, I think, therefore I am, Rene Descartes. Um, that's really good, except if I just have to think my way to something, sometimes I'll never get there. In fact, I probably will never get there in terms of faith because it literally requires faith. That's why it's called faith. I can only think my way so far and I get to this place where I have to make this commitment to trust and believe and have faith that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is, and it might reorient my entire life. And so sometimes, if you're like me, your brain can get in the way of your faith. Not because I'm too smart, but because I'm probably not capable of seeing a bigger picture. And so I don't, I would say it this way, if we continue to only live in our minds, we're going to live in a place of skepticism forever. But at some point, we have to ask the question, what has our heart I love these words from Brian Zahn. He writes this. If we privilege the head over the heart in all matters of inquiry, we may very well cut ourselves off from that which is intellectually unknowable. The rational mind is capable of amazing accomplishments, but it is not an organ suitable for experiencing God. Attempting to use the rational mind as the organ for experiencing God is rather like trying to smell a rose with your ear. The ear is a remarkable sense organ, but it's not the organ for experiencing aroma. We cannot perceive with the mind those things that the heart alone is capable of perceiving. We can know lots of things, but sometimes just knowing is not enough. And here's why. We live out what we love. We can know the right thing always, but if we love the wrong thing, we're going to do the wrong thing. What has our heart is what we live out. Like it happens again and again in our lives. If our kids have our hearts, then we can see it by how we behave. If our wallet has our heart, we see it by how we work more. If, if whatever has our heart has us. And so the question for you and I is, what has your heart? For some of us, we know we love things we shouldn't love. But what if love itself became the center of our life? What if reflecting and living out the love of Jesus became what drove us? It became the thing that we loved and we lived out. What if that were to happen? What if we would do this? What if we'd say to God during this season especially, God, I want to confess what has my heart. The things that have my heart that I love that I probably shouldn't love. They keep leading to more and more brokenness and destruction. The things that I keep choosing that lead me to be the person I don't want to be. God, what do I need to choose? What do I need to confess? What do I need to lay down so I can become who you're calling me to be? It's why, if I'm really, really honest this morning, it's why I have to pray all the time, God, I want you to have my heart. 
I want you to have my whole heart. I want, want my heart to be defined by you because when I'm willing to live in that way and I commit myself fully to that and I lean in and I trust God's spirit is at work in my life, I love my wife better and I love my kids better and I love you all better. And when I find myself wandering from that just a little bit, I don't love my wife as well and I don't love my kids as well and you annoy me. Some of you laughed, some of you didn't. Um, but it's true. If we allow things to seep in and begin to take our heart, then who we are may not be who we want to be. And when I trust my heart fully to Jesus, my goals even change in life. What I long for changes, it looks different. But if I live into other things and over and over again, I, I miss opportunities. In fact, I, I often hear, feel like God smacks me upside the head and says, hey, Aaron, um, you just missed an opportunity to love someone well because you were thinking about yourself. You just missed an opportunity right there to be who I've called you to be because you were wrapped up in your own thing. Hey, you just missed this opportunity. Don't do it again. Why? Because you're just not reflecting the love that I created you to live out. You're living for your own place of brokenness and not from the place of me. And if you live for me, I promise you'll not regret it. And so what about you and I? He's asking me to answer this question over and over, and he's asking you the same. What direction will you choose? If you and I would seek to live with him as our guide, um, the destination and the journey itself will be better than we could have ever imagined. What we might find is it's more than enough that we ever thought possible that God's very presence might lead us to become people we never thought we could become. In fact, it leads us to the place where we go, man, I never knew I could find this true purpose, this true passion, this reason for living that I never thought was possible. I never thought I would care for other people in such a way that would reorient the way I see the entire world. And so that's why Paul's writing to the church in Corinth saying this, what does God need to redirect in your life? What needs, needs turn to a new direction? What needs to be radically shifted in your mind so that you no longer go the direction you're going and you begin to turn a new way? What trail sign do you need to see so when your son asks you, are you lost? You go, no, I am not at all. I'm going in the right direction. And this for you and I is the invitation. This for you and I is a reminder that the cross points the way. What's the sign for you and I? In this season, we're reminded the sign is the cross. It says, you want to see what love looks like, the fullness of God's love? It's in this that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him wouldn't have to die, but they could find everlasting eternal life. Why? Because God so loves you. And sometimes I wonder, and for God so loves me too. In fact, there's no one on the face of this earth that God does not love. And so what might happen if you and I begin to lean into that very idea that we would live as people of love, this divine reflection, and we'd recognize the cross points us to the way of eternal life, and it says if you'll lose your life for my sake, then you'll really find life. But if you try to keep finding life in the culture around you, you will eventually lose your life. He goes on to say, what good does it profit the man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What might happen? What might happen for you and I if we decided the cross today became the signpost on the side of the trail 
that pointed us in a new direction. And we began to pursue with all that we are who Jesus is and who he invites us to be. And what if, what if, what if we truly did decide that he would lead us to the cross and we'd find there he'd point us in a new direction where we could find true life and true passion and true purpose. It is for this life and for our life to come that would eternally matter in the present. What might happen if you and I chose that? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. For the way in which you invite us to be your unique people, so radically defined by your love and your mercy and your grace, that you come to us as we are, where we are, but you don't leave us there. And Father, we know we all have hang-ups and things that keep us from coming to you, and, and maybe it, for some of us it's our mind over our heart, or some of us it is our heart and not our mind, or whatever it might look like, but what might happen, Father, if we turn to you? And so we ask this morning that you might help us that whatever hinders us, whatever keeps us from you, whatever we need to lay down, whatever we need to share, that you would help us to come to you in a way that is life-changing and life-giving. And so, Father, we ask for your love and your grace and your mercy to define us. We ask that you might help us to love as you love. We ask that you might open our eyes and our ears to see what it looks like to be the unique people of God. We might recognize just because our ancestors went in some way doesn't mean we have to. We can learn from them too. That we don't have to repeat the mistakes of the past, but we can walk into new life. That we can become more and more the very people of God you've called us to be. That we don't have to buy into things that seem like a good idea in the moment, but we know at the end we're going to regret And so, Father, will you help us become the people of God you've called us to be? We pray this all in your son Jesus' name.